Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Welcome everybody to episode 18 of Push Dose EMS, your monthly podcast brought to you by the Milwaukee County Office of Emergency Management. I'm your host, Jeff Matcher, the Clinical Education QA Manager for the county. Uh, joining me today is a slew of regulars and one special guest. So going uh, around my frame here, I have EMS Division Director Dan Pojar. Welcome, Dan. Everybody. Uh, System Medical Director, Dr. Ben Weston. Dr. Weston, welcome. Thanks, Jeff. Our EMS Fellows, uh, Dr. Brandon Drazic. Welcome, Dr. Drazic. Thanks so much. Happy to be here. And Dr. Nico Arendovich. Welcome, Dr. Arendovich. Hi, ho. And special guest joining us this month for the podcast, uh, Chief Chris Sandoval from the Wauwatosa Fire Department. Uh, Chief Sandoval, welcome. Hello, everybody. Terrific. As per usual, before we go deep diving into our topic today, uh, we'll go around and do some updates from the system. So, Dan, anything from the system? Yeah, thanks, Jeff. Uh, just want to take a moment to recognize and acknowledge the, uh, the mass casualty incident that occurred in Waukesha just a few days ago here. Um, certainly chaotic, stressful scene, complicated further by a slew of pediatric patients. So just wanted to let the, the community know, especially in Waukesha County, that we're thinking of our brothers and sisters who responded, provided excellent patient care during an unprecedented event. Um, we're, we're thinking of you guys, so we hope you are all doing well. Um, as far as Milwaukee County is concerned, uh, we've got some, some exciting news when it comes to some finances. Uh, the county executive recommended a $1.5 million increase to the EMS stipend. For, and for those who don't know, um, there's a subsidy that comes from the county to the fire department. So currently that uh, dollar amount is $1.5 million. That is doubling now to $3 million. Uh, the vast amount of that is going to go to support the fire departments in their uh, operations, and then some of those remaining monies uh, will be invested to further the system as a whole. So we're looking at um, providing some new technology and tools to the county as a whole through the lens of equity in terms of getting everyone access to the tools. So not just one or two uh, departments in particular, but really bringing out some, some new emerging um, technology that everyone can benefit from. So exciting times uh, coming up here in the next couple of months. Thanks. Thank you, Dan. Uh, and from the medical direction group, uh, Dr. Weston, any updates? All right. Thanks, Jeff. We certainly have a lot going on in our system, but uh, I wanted to take a moment and also recognize the just horrific events that recently took place at a Christmas parade in Waukesha. Uh, we mourn the lives lost uh, and are thinking of those affected, both those directly affected through injury and those who are sitting in the hospital, uh, but also those who experienced and were affected by the trauma that they saw. I think as always, when tragedies such as this occur, we're thankful for you, for our first responders who are trained and seasoned and have that bravery to run into the danger. Now, in this event, we saw in all those videos that have been circulating, we saw horrendous images, but we also saw the bravery of those bystanders who ran into that danger to provide comfort and to provide care to the injured. So in, in the spirit of Thanksgiving, I think we can be thankful for that inherent good that we saw in our neighbors. So please be safe this holiday season. Please uh, get vaccinated to protect yourself and your family. If you haven't already, get boosted. Uh, it's easy to get boosted. If you're 18 years and older, get boosted. Simple, simple guidance. Uh, and, and please reach out to those who may not be able to celebrate with others this season as well. So I'll stop there and hand it back to you, Jeff. Thanks. 
the terrible tragedy that happened in, in Waukesha recently. Uh, and our topic for the podcast this month uh, is actually relevant. And we're going to do a bit of a deep dive into triage, uh, the salt system that we use here in the county. And with that, I'm going to turn it over to our fellows, Dr. Rendovich and Dr. Dresich, and to Chief Sandoval. So, gentlemen, take it away. Well, bonjour, bonsoir, bonne nuit. Today we're going to be talking about triage. Ooh, those are some fancy French words. Very funny, Dr. Rendovich. But it is funny because there seems to be no consensus for where this word comes from, triage. In general, it means to sort uh, or to sort for quality. You know, the etymology actually means to break into three, but for some reason it was a reference to sorting coffee beans, actually sorting different kinds of coffee. But a few hundred years ago, the word started being applied to people, to actually sorting different kinds of casualties on a battlefield, and it was actually there that the field of EMS was born. You'll commonly hear about all sorts of history from where EMS started, but really, it looks like it wasn't until the Napoleonic Wars under Dominique Jean Leray when we started actually doing things right. Rapid transport for stabilization and treatment. And by that, it usually meant food, water, cauterization with a hint of amputation. Sounds brutal, but the alternative was dying of your wounds in a field. You know, it's surprising to hear that it was so late in the civilization, too, knowing that wars essentially were happening all the time. But I guess when you consider that true modern medicine is about 100 years old, it's not that surprising. Heck, the act of bloodletting for treating pretty much every illness was still recommended into the 1920s. But enough history, let's get to it. In general, the idea of triage in a mass casualty incident is to do the most good for the most amount of people. Remember, a mass casualty incident isn't a discrete number. It's whatever it takes to overwhelm the current resources that you have. It can be as little as a two-person crew arriving to a three-victim MVC. And depending on where you go, you might see a difference in which triage system is being used. Here at OEM, we use the SALT model instead of the more common START method because it's the only mass casualty triage model that meets the model, the model uniform core criteria, the MUC, if you will. What a terrible acronym, which is a representation of the best available science and developed by the people from the field, from the inpatient setting, any clinical folks, and everywhere in between. SALT, outside of being a flavorizer, it's an acronym. I highly recommend pulling up the algorithm at some point during this talk to take a look, look at it as we go through it. SALT. That S stands for sort. When there's a large number of potentially wounded people, it's best to have them sort themselves if they can. Sometimes the best way to do this is to just straight verbalize it. Hey, if you can walk, move, move over here and we'll work on taking care of you. If you can't walk, wave your hands and we'll come help you. The last group you'll see there is not going to be doing too much. And now notice back when we talked about triage meant breaking into three. Now there's three groups. In this case, the third mouse is actually going to get the wheel. Those who aren't responding as much or can't wave their hand or can't walk, those are the ones that should be seen first. The ultimate bait and switch. The A in SALT stands for assess. This is designed to be fast and purposeful as to limit time. This is where you start thinking about when you, the type of person you're going to be performing your life-saving interventions to. If they're not breathing, they're dead, and you have to move on. 
if your patient's needs outweigh the resources you have, in other words, wounds like abdominal wounds that are excessively bleeding, a gunshot wound to the head, but they're breathing, you have to be aware that they're likely going to die and should be marked as expectant. If your patient is unstable, as noted above, and they have a chance of survival with your current resources, those are the ones that can be tagged as immediate. If everything generally looks well, but they have significant injuries that are controlled, they'll be marked as delayed. And if they look well and have some minor injuries, these are the ones that are minimal. These are your walking wounded folks. These are usually the ones that sort themselves first. L. L stands for those life-saving interventions that we are all familiar with. You know, we already have a ton of those LSIs in our toolboxes. In this circumstance, though, it's meant to be fast. It's going to be the abridged version of what you do in a standard trauma, and this is primarily for your safety as well as the safety of other victims. First one we consider is major hemorrhage control. Use your tourniquets or wound packing as needed. And remember to mark the time when the tourniquet goes up. If you're questioning whether or not you should place one, just place it and move on. When we look at things like airway, this is not designed to be fancy. This is repositioning of the jaw, maybe a nasopharyngeal airway insertion, and maybe you consider some rescue breaths for your pediatric patients that might improve with breathing. When we think about chest decompression, this is re referring to the release of a tension pneumothorax or placing a chest seal for sucking chest wounds. You can find all of these on the OEM guidelines for more information about the specifics, specifics of the LSIs. The last thing worth mentioning that I don't want to ignore is the use of auto-injectors. This is not something we use very commonly, and this is a little bit more of a hazmat specialty. And you can find more of those under the, what I'm guessing is far less utilized, the Universal Poisoning Care Guidelines. A hint, it's probably going to be atropine. And finally, T, which stands for Treatment, Transport, and Tagging. Remember those sort of descriptions, the expectant, immediate, delayed, the minor walking wounded, you're literally going to tag them so the rest of the crew members not doing the triaging know the best way to manage those patients. After the initial triage patients process, these patients will usually be sent to a casualty collection points where they'll get further care, likely be re-triaged and transported to receiving facilities. With that introduction, uh, I'd like to move on to the introduction of our speakers today and towards a, uh, a Q&A session. That's a lot to take in in a short period of time, but uh, we're gonna bring in an expert in the field, Chief Sandoval from the Wauwatosa, also known as Tosa Fire Department, interviewed by my very own co-fellow, Dr. Nico Arendovich. Chief, how's your day going right now? Why don't you tell us where you are right now so we can all be a little jealous. I can't complain. I'm uh, in Colorado right now, uh, having some vacation, seeing some family. So uh, it's pretty good right now. Well, thanks for coming out and joining us for this special occasion at this time of the month. So let's just give an example real quick to kick us off. You and your partner first on scene. What are you doing and how are you dividing tasks in a potential MCI? Well, it's kind of starts even before you get get on scene, gathering as much intelligence about what is going on, and then uh, make sure that we place our rig in an area that's not in the way of uh, additional units or in causing problems later on. We're always going to make sure we have the right PPE on, whether that's our protective gear, reflective vest, um, RTF gear, any sort of PPE that might be required, make sure that's, that's good to go. And then we're going to make sure that we divide our uh, tasks appropriately. So if I'm the uh, 
the senior most paramedic or uh, sitting in the right seats. My usual job is uh, to look at, you know, big picture. Um, usually that role is assuming the medical branch director. And then my partner is going to be the, the triage officer or assuming triage duties and helping me sort um, through the number of patients. So that's the basic gist of our kind of thought process. Ah, so you guys have a designated triage officer then. That sounds like a pretty fun role. How do I get into that? <laughs> it's usually something that's uh, never quite obvious um, for our protocols. It's if you're the first uh, ambulance on scene, you take those roles. Um, usually a lot of these incidents have uh, a lot of responders on scene and a lot of stuff going on. Um, command may or may not be established. So uh, it's important to identify these roles and make sure that they're addressed in a timely fashion. Um, so would you, would you say that these triage officers, should they really be doing much outside of quick triaging? No, they should really kind of be following uh, uh, the most effective treatments to stabilize and, and, and temporize um, for the additional units that are to come. Um, these quick life-saving procedures uh, aren't meant to be definitive, but meant to uh, provide the best chance of, of stabilizing the, the injuries. And so when they start to go through these salt or uh, triage mechanisms here, are you a salt or a start kind of guy, given all your experience? Um, I've always found salt to be the more simpler of the uh, types of triage. Um, I did learn start, and I think there's another called jump start, which is a similar process of sorting and, and triaging. Uh, the hurdles I ran into with start triage is there's a lot of kind of numbers to keep in consideration, like respiratory rates, um, capillary refill times, um, some of these other things that salts eliminates, and it's it's more practical to do on non-real scenes that I found. So I, I tend to like salt. It's not to say start or jump start is bad. It's easier for me to do salt triage. I got to say, I agree with you too. The numbers can always get a little confusing. And I feel like the salt is really relying a lot about our own expertise. And I know for a fact that the guys I've worked with out in the field, they know what they're doing. So now that we're starting to work on the sorting aspect, you know, the biggest question that always kind of comes into play is what's an expectant patient? These can be very difficult patients um, and very uncomfortable to, to identify. Um, mainly because it feels like you're not providing them any care. In reality, the expectant patient is the patient that exceeds the capabilities of the on-scene personnel and equipment. Um, and the likelihood of survival is extremely low. Um, it's not to say that we're not going to do any resuscitation, but we're going to delay that resuscitation for these expectant patients. Um, it's not something that we normally do during a uh, nine one, you know, typical shift. So this is a, this is an atypical type response and, and, and treatment that we're going to provide this patient. That's, it, it can be mentally and kind of uh, physically uncomfortable to do, but it's important that we allocate the right resources to the right patients. Yeah. And I feel like at those points, you know, we're, we're doing the best that we can and the next step is to look at all these patients that are red. In these cases where you will have some expectant patients, you're going to expect to have a bunch of red patients too. How do we go about sorting uh, multiple red patients? And really, are all red patients created equal? Um, there, there is 
uh, you know, more severely injured red patients who you can stratify. I think the important thing to consider is they all need to uh, be urgently transported and urgently get definitive care. Um, in the incidents that I've been on, um, most of the time it's the closest red patient to the transporting unit goes and just trying to effectively get as many people to definitive care as I can. Definitive care is always one of the hardest things that we need to get through in the pre-hospital field. And especially when there's a ton of people, it's difficult to uh, really move them in the right direction. And then that's why we typically set up casualty collection points. What are your thoughts on those? Uh, I think they, they can provide useful uh, areas to, to give treatment. One of the things that I'm always concerned with casualty correction, collection points is that it will delay care or somehow inhibit getting patients to uh, definitive care. So I'm always very cognizant if, if we establish a casualty collection point, it should be a very temporary waypoint to get them to hospital or definitive care and not delay anything by uh, keeping patients in the casualty collection point. Totally agree with you. We're still trying to maintain that idea of the platinum 15 minutes or that golden hour of trauma in these cases. Now you see there's usually a pretty hectic area and you might see a lot of police on scene. How do you collaborate with these guys? Um, Usually direct communication. You know, if you need something, um, everyone's there kind of for the same purpose. We have different tasks, but we're all there on on the same mission is to to help people and, and stabilize an incident. Um, working within the incident command structure or the Milwaukee County IMP, we have mechanisms to request assistance through your operations officer and the incident command officer. And higher than that, there's, there's mechanisms to get greater resources. So it's always working within the command structure and direct communication with, with your peers and superiors is always the easiest way to get things done. I tell you what, any of these MCIs, they sound extremely stressful. And it sounds like there's a lot of moving parts that go on in all of these cases. Now, we don't get these very often. And a lot of times they can be very hectic because of the lack of experience. How can we go about practicing this on our day to day? Well, the hard part is we don't get a lot of MCIs. And that's very fortunate. Um, But it's kind of running through some of these scenarios on your lower level incidents. And some of them can be if you have three patients in a motor vehicle collision, you can kind of run through your head as, all right, let's do a small triage. And if this was a larger or an expanding event, how would I handle that as that first uh, paramedic unit? Um, And then, you know, utilizing the uh, uh, command structure is asking your superiors, your captains, lieutenants, chief officers, is that if this was a larger event, what would we have done? How would we have managed, you know, seven patients instead of three? So these types of things are, are good for everyone because it, it kind of refreshes some of these, these tactics and, and procedures that we don't normally do very often. Now, I got to say, for everything we have, there's always an exception to the rule. Is there any situation where we won't be using the same triage system? Um, there's always exceptions and some of it is based on what situations that you encounter. Um, an active shooter is very different from a motor vehicle collision. It's also very different from, let's say, uh, mass casualty on a structure fire. Um, so, uh, adapting 
to the situation and working within that command structure to develop the best practices for what you're encountering is always kind of should be foremost and, and, and present. Um, these are very dynamic events, no matter what type of situation you're in. So it's, it's always staying on your toes. And some of the major responsibilities for the, the medical branch or the person in charge of care on these scenes is always looking at that big picture and communicating with the, the command structure to make sure you have a good understanding of what's going on and you're not missing anything or the situation isn't changing uh, without your knowledge. Excellent, excellent. Now you always hear about those lightning strikes. What happens when we get an MCI with a lightning strike? Well, obviously we don't want to be part of the MCI and cause additional injuries. So we want to make sure that, uh, you know, we stay clear of the, the area of problem as best we can um, and uh, not contribute to the problem. I tell you what, the weirdest thing about these cases is they always say that in the case of a lightning strike, those unconscious, those thought to be expectant patients, they should actually be managed first because for some reason they have a high chance of coming back with a couple good rounds of chest compressions and maybe a defibrillation. Wild thought to keep in mind when you're out in the field and you get that one in a billion chance of someone getting struck by lightning. So now I got to ask the dirtiest question in all of, uh, all of this Q&A we're going to have here documentation and patient tracking. How do we go about doing this when, you know, an MCI so starts? It's, I'll tell you, it's never easy and it never goes the way you'll think it goes. Um, in, in my agency, we've developed a lot of forms and tools and clipboards and uh, materials that should, can be used during MCIs. And I can tell you that all of the incidents that I've been on, I, have a piece of paper and a Sharpie marker uh, managing that incident. Um, it's not to say it's the best thing to do, um, but documentation is important. Um, these incidents are gonna be looked at by typically a lot of people, law enforcement, uh, medical direction, um, the media sometimes. So having accurate records and being able to convey accurate information is critically important. And I understand for the for the paramedics, you know, treating people and, and, and dealing with the situation, it's sometimes like a secondary consideration, but uh, it is critically important. Um, some of these don't necessitate a standard documentation. So for some of these patients, we won't be filling out a full EPCR. We might be writing down pertinent facts and details, but it's important that we, we document things and and. Um, record uh, the information or our actions accurately, not only for, for posterity, but for, for future review and potential law enforcement action. Awesome. Thank you for coming out with us and talking to us about MCIs. These are difficult situations, especially given the current climate. Any other closing thoughts? No, these may be intimidating, but just focus on simple tasks of, of allocating the right resources, treating the patients to best your ability, and it'll all work out. You know, as a, as a doc that receives some of these patients, I know these can be stressful too. If you're having an MCI, make sure you're notifying EMSCOM of what's going on. If you consider large MCIs, remember these are times when you should get a special consult to your medical director in line too. Bringing these patients in can also be stressful depending on the scene where you're coming from. 
you know, we don't really expect a lot in these situations. Give us that same sign out that you're used to giving us to the best of your ability. You'll get those Demas cards when you come into Freighter. It's the easiest way to keep things from keep things in line and, you know, keeping the forest for the trees in this situation. Again, I want to say thanks to, thanks to everyone that's here. Thanks, Chief Sandoval. And thanks to all you guys out there for everything that you do, especially in these potentially terrible situations. This topic is coincidentally and tragically timely, but uh, so very important for those of us dedicated to pre-hospital care in our community. As always this year, we wanna recognize the importance of what all of you do out there. We acknowledge the hours are long, the work is both physically and emotionally taxing, and most of the days are thankless. But on behalf of the medical direction team and from OEM as a whole, let me express that we are thankful for you we appreciate your commitment to medical excellence and your dedicated service. Well, gentlemen, thank you so much. Uh, some really great information there, uh, especially on a topic that in a classroom or on paper seems pretty straightforward, uh, but when put into practice can be a really trying time. So it's great to put that back in the forefront of our minds. Um, a special thanks to Chief Sandoval for taking some time out of his vacation uh, to sit with us today. And uh, thank you to everyone who is here on a regular basis. I greatly appreciate it. And we will talk to you all in a month. Take care.